The scripture this morning will be from the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, the 27th to the 38th verses. Um, I will read and please follow along. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels." Morning. Making our way through the book of Mark and continue on this morning. I, uh, I note in this Peter's high and low, this gospel is most likely coming with many of Peter's recollections given to Mark. And uh, reminds me of about 10, uh, 12 years ago now, I guess, I was on, uh, I was on Jeopardy. And many of you know that, but I, I remember very well when I was on the show um, getting my first question right. I tried to ring in and tried to ring in and could, and it's very frustrating. And I knew all the answers, and then they, uh, I finally got in, and uh, and I, I gave the right answer, and it was just like this. I don't know, it's just this adrenaline rush, you know. Of, I, I got it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on the board. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I was just like, I can do this. I can win a million dollars. I'm really smart, and I could just feel this enthusiasm for myself. Just, you know, I, I had gotten it right. It had, you know, and um, and then there was the other question. I, um, you know, I'm a pastor. I had small children at the time. My my. Uh, children very small relative to now and a question comes on about veggie tales you think this is a i own every veggie tales movie at that time i don't know if i do anymore but every veggie tales movie ever made and it's a veggie tales question and uh and I'm, so i ring in and i get in and i'm thinking oh here i am and in my mind it was it was something about a character with a, a green head and all i could think of was a piece of broccoli and so in front of national television, and mostly my children who are watching, not live, but later I say, Junior Broccoli. Now, if you know with VeggieTales, the character is Junior Asparagus. Right, y'all know. See, y'all think you're smarter than me too. <laughs> and as soon as I said it, I knew it was wrong. 
And as soon as I said it, I thought, whenever this airs, my children are going to be so distressed with me because (laughs) I've gone from the high of knowing some obscure, I don't even know what the first question was, but the obscure answer, and I got a lot more obscure ones. And I, but somehow, the low of getting the wrong answer, you know, it, it, it plagues me even to this day. I, I don't wake up at night anymore much, but, <laughs> but I think to myself, you know, I, I can't compare that with what Peter went through, but the high and the low in this, as they're walking together, this gospel is trying to tell us what it's been trying from the very beginning. It's, Mark says in the very beginning, this is the gospel the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is a gospel trying to get all of us to understand who this man, God, person is. And, and each time Jesus performs a miracle, either over nature or over the demonic realm or over sickness, there's something about his person and there's something about his kingdom that he's trying to get us to see. Who is this king? What's he like? And what's his kingdom like? And so here we come to the transitional part of this gospel. It really began with a story a chapter or two ago in the feeding of the 5,000 as these signs continue to point to the, the, the person, what is And who is this man and what is this kingdom? And now as they're walking along, we have, if you'll you'll continue on it, uh, chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus is with his disciples, and they're in this area in the northern part of Israel, Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asks them, so who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some people are saying you're John the Baptist. That's what Herod thought. We know that from the prior where he's, he's concerned that Jesus is a resurrected version of the beheaded Herod. And others are saying you're Elijah because you're a miracle worker maybe or another one of the prophets because you teach and proclaim this with this authority. Who are you? And then he asked the disciples, and who do you say that I am? And Peter, likely answering sort of on behalf of all of them, say, you are the Christ. That word, Christos, Messiah, the implications of that and all that the Old Testament speaks of who this person is, it's just a gigantic revelation. And we learn not in this gospel, but in another gospel that says, you know, this, this didn't come from you. Peter, you're not smart enough to get this. This was revealed to you by God. Flesh and blood, it says, didn't, didn't give this to you. It's this revelation from God. And I don't know what Peter felt at the moment, but I've got to think he's thinking, I got it right. I got it right. I got the, you know, he, I think he was convinced. I think he was, the, the disciples, they'd been with him and they got it. For as much time as the disciples had spent in the boat, we keep seeing them in the boat, they missed the boat far more often. And they kept, we kept, Mark keeps telling us how much they don't get it. They didn't understand, we know about the loaves, it said last week. They didn't understand what was happening. And yet here it seems that they do. They get it right. He gets the answer right. Jesus doesn't deny it. Jesus just says, don't tell anyone. Probably for whatever his reasons were, he felt it wasn't time to generally reveal it. Peter's here. 
And then the expectation of what this Messiah, what this Christos will be like. He says, okay, now I'm going to begin to teach you. From this part of the gospel on, we have much fewer demonstrations of his power. There are a few healings, but whereas all of Mark before this is just one story after another, now with the revelation becoming more complete of who he is, there's less of that, at least that Mark tells us, and much more teaching and description about what's going to happen, and it begins here. He begins to teach them that, now if I were writing this, here's what I would say, that the Messiah is going to kick some Roman and we're going to take it back, and we're going to make this kingdom, we are going to rule. When the next election for Caesar comes, you guys are going to elect me. Because I, you know, if I was in power, look, I can make bread. The food problem, food shortage is over. The peasants will all be for me. See, this is what Messiah came to do, right? And you know what I think the disciples would have said? Yeah! That is understandable. That's a plan. You can get some marketing and some spin. You can make this happen, right? What does he say? The Son of Man, a term from the book of Daniel that would also be, they would have understood as the Christ, the Messiah, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders. That would be the religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. You're the Christ. You're going to what? Like Peter, you can just see it. He, he, turned, he pulls Jesus aside. Says, um, Jesus. He rebukes Jesus, the Bible said. That takes some guts. Stupidity and guts. <laughs> But you know, understandably, I think, Jesus, you don't, you don't get it. The word rebuke there means to put an appropriate weight on. It says, you, you're not putting, you don't see this, Jesus. See, suffering and dying on a cross, that's for criminals. We all know that's, we've seen that. That's what people do who aren't like you. Jesus has some very strong words in response to Peter. Look at what he says. Verse 33, Turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Can I tell you that Peter does not seem very demon-possessed to me, at least the way Hollywood says it? You know, I mean, Peter's going, we'd say, oh, he's got a demon. He's so demoniac. It was very reasoned. This is not good thinking, Jesus. Why? Why? I want to just suggest to you that it's because he wasn't coming the way Jesus thought. This is not the way good leadership runs. I've read all the leadership books, and this is not the way leaders do it. They don't go and die. They don't. I haven't read any leadership books that says go and die. 
this is a really this is an excellent plan for bringing about the, you know, they don't. And Jesus says, no, that's exactly the plan. Exactly the plan for me. Demonic wisdom can seem so right. Look at, if you, if you have your Bible, you can turn to James 3. James describes what this kind of wisdom is like. In 3.13, James says, Who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and be false to the truth. This isn't wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James affirms what Jesus says is that the kind of thinking that's full of ambition, selfish ambition, isn't from God. And he says this phrase that I think we would do well to really look at, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We sometimes think, oh, that person, you know, is so heavenly minded to be so too earthly good. Not biblical at all. He says, if you want to be really earthly good, you will be completely heavenly minded. Colossians chapter 3 says, if you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For if you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, then Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. You become incredibly earthly to the earthly good when your mind is on the things that are in heaven. We pray each week, Lord, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. So, so Jesus kind of upends Peter. He recognizes that Peter's good intended, maybe, rebuke is just a way for Satan to begin to try to undermine what God wants to do. And then Jesus, interestingly enough, in verse 34, at that point it says he calls the crowd in as well. Up to that point, it looks like he was just talking to his disciples. He says he calls the crowd to him, and he says, let's get this out on the table. Let's, let's really get the plan out here, because it's not only for me, but this has implications for you if you want to follow me. And can I just tell you, this is the worst marketing, like, you know, get people to follow you speech ever. Like, let's, let's get people to sign up for our program. Think of it. Here's what Jesus says. This is to us, for those of us who have chosen to follow Christ, and if you, you haven't, please know what he calls you to. Because we live sometimes in a day where it's like, oh, it doesn't, it's not going to cost you that much to follow Christ. You know, you can just kind of add him into your schedule and he'll make everything a little better. Nope. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So he says, following me is a three-step program. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Denying yourself, 
It's not some kind of, oh, well, I won't eat chocolate for Lent, or, you know, some sort of ascetic, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to deny myself the good things. It says it's way beyond that. It's denying self. It's saying, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but yours be done. That is the Christian walk. That is, and it is, it is hard. It is hard, but we read this morning Psalm 16. And if you've got your Bible, I want to turn to this because this is a a psalm where it speaks of resurrection. It speaks of the death. It's a messianic psalm and has implications for us, but I want you to look at the end of this psalm. Psalm 16. I'll start with verse 9 to get a running start. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not let your Holy One see corruption or see the pit. Again, a reference to Jesus' own death. He says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. But these pleasures and this being in God's presence comes and we deny ourselves and we say, it's not my will that reigns supreme. And guys, we, this is countercultural. We live in a society where because we can do it, because we can afford it, or because we have the freedom to do things, nobody's going to tell me what I can or can't do. My identity, my right, my rights. I'm going to fight for my rights. That is, that is a creed in our culture. And it is antithetical to the Christian message, which says, nope, I die to my right. I mean, the basic human rights? I have the right to, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The gospel says you have the right to die and then have true life. Because at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You want to be happy in this life only and that's all? I guarantee you it, it, it will work not much better to follow your own way, but you may experience some temporal happiness. Believe me, if sin didn't have any fun or joy in it, no one would do it. All right? There's some glittery fun in sin. You know? Just frankly, there is, and it's very temporal, and it passes, and it's bitter. The taste of it is bitter. And Jesus says the joy of self-denial is that when you die, life springs, resurrection life springs up. You say, no, I'm not going to pursue my own way. I'm going to pursue God's way. Hebrews 11 you've got your Bible, you can turn here with me as well. I know we're flipping around a bit this morning, but this is, so, this is such the crux of the, of the human condition and the gospel. And crux means cross. Yes, I know it's... Hebrews 11, speaking of Moses and the faith that he showed in verse 25... 
Moses, it says, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, verse 25, Hebrews 11, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses chose, rather than the fleeting treasures of Egypt, the pleasures of sin, to be identified, it says, in some way with with Christ and his suffering, because he knew that there was a war that was so much greater. Can Can you hear it? Can you hear me? Because this is a hard word. It's not something that our culture is going to embrace because our culture is all about the now. It's all about right this second. The next buy, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to get an iPhone 7 because the 8's coming out. I'm not against iPhone 7s or 8s, but if you live for that, it's a fleeting pleasure. Everything in this life will pass away except what is founded and grounded on him. For them, for Jesus to say, take up your cross, for us it's a euphemism, right? We don't die on crosses anymore. But this was a culture that would have witnessed people dragging their crosses to their death in what even the Romans, Seneca said, it is barbaric and gruesome way to die not even fit for slaves. And Jesus says, to be my follower, you know we've watched those people in the marketplace who die that grisly death. This isn't about you. This isn't about you getting everything you want. This is about what God has called us as followers of his too. He wanted to make no make sure they didn't misunderstand at all that the, the walk and the call to follow him was going, this world was going to cost them something. As a matter of fact, their lives. But he says, if you die, you follow me, and you die, that's not the end. There is life. I want to challenge us all, if you have not memorized him, Psalm 16, verse 11. It is uh, a psalm I've... That verse I have... One of those ones, one of my key verses or whatever. God will not allow you to the extent you die and are willing to lay down your own way and say, it's not what I want. I'd much rather do A, but God, I know your call is to walk B. And I could contextualize this for you in a thousand ways of people who are denying their own self and pleasure. And, and I won't try because there's a million ways for, for, you know, for what, what's, what, what that call is for me may not be for you. But to be able to do that and say that, the end of it, because he will not abandon your soul to Sheol either and he won't allow you to grow in corruption. It's not the end because... He will make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And those pleasures aren't the fleeting pleasures of sin. They're the pleasures of righteousness that last forever. This life is not all there is. Our hope is not completely based in this world. Yes, I hope in Christ now, 
but I know that this is a shadow of what's coming. And you should know that too, is that whatever pain and sorrow you feel, whatever self-denial is going on, whatever you're thinking this is really hard, the Lord knows. He has walked where you've walked. He understands how hard some of your roads are. But he won't abandon you. He won't leave you. If you have declared and you know your trust is in him and you are following him, pleasure is forevermore as you die to yourself and experience his resurrection life. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, your, your word is, is crystal clear, crystal clear that the call to follow you is a call to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves, Lord, not putting ourselves on the throne and, and saying what we want reigns supreme, but, Lord, taking up our cross and following you. But you promise not to leave us or abandon us. Lord, that your way is good and that death leads to life. I want to take a minute before we close because for some of you here, you may think, I I don't even know what that means. I've never died to myself. I don't... I want to just invite you to turn to God. That, that the offer to the, the gospel offer is free. It comes. You don't have to clean yourself up, make yourself better and acceptable to God. You need to simply acknowledge that He is right in what He says, that we're hopeless and lost without Him that we can do nothing to earn his favor, that we can't do anything but simply say, yes, I agree with you, God. Acknowledge your need for him and then receive what he's done for you because what he said in the gospel this morning, he's about to do, he's about to die, and he says in three days I'll be raised up again. He is the first fruits of resurrection life that we all can experience. And if you're done with this life, you're done with the life you live and the hopelessness of not knowing why you're alive and the despair and all the things that come with that, the fear and the anger and the sorrow and all the, the fruit of this life, if, if you're ready to give that to Jesus and let him replace that, then you simply acknowledge your need for him. Confess him. Believe in him. And it's all done. That's it. Come and experience the joy of death with us who are dying. We've died and we're dying still. It's an open party. Everybody who wants to die, come join the party. Because at the end of this road, when we see there's pleasures forevermore at his right hand. For those of us who have followed him and have chosen to follow him and acknowledge that, I invite you to keep denying yourself, to keep carrying your cross. Luke adds the word daily 
picks up that word daily, carry your cross daily, and follow Jesus.